Morning, church. I had the um, the pleasure of coming to the men's breakfast yesterday. I've got to say it was uh, pretty cool. Um, and for me, I was reminded of last year's conference, um, and the theme of that was a new era. And I think that in this church, the men of this church have entered a new era. And the, the conference this year is suddenly. And I want to tell you that suddenly this community will change. Suddenly the people we reach out to will be different. Suddenly we will be different. But we'll only be different when we come together as a group in unity. When, when we stand together, we stand in strength and in unity. And that's what this men's ministry will be about. As we heard from Cecil yesterday, there's challenges in our community. I can tell you there's challenges in our homes. We don't have to reach out to find challenges. We can find challenges right where we're standing. And that brings me to the message this morning. And I've got to say that one of the encouraging things about uh, being part of a ministry particularly a men's ministry or, or a woman's ministry for that matter, is the fact that you have fellow believers around you. You're not reliant on yourself. You're able to reach out to others in fellowship. You're able to stand beside them and they're able to support you. You know, the Bible says that we need to seek wisdom. We need the counsel of many. And in those things, ministries are critical. Because storms will come in our lives. And that's the title of my message today is When Storms Come. When the storms come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you that, that this morning you've put on my heart a word to share with this congregation about the storms that we all face in our lives. Lord, I just thank you that you choose to use this vessel to deliver your word. And I proclaim Isaiah 55, 11, where you said, So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Lord, I just pray that your word touches the hearts, the minds, the spirits that were open to receive the things that you have for each and every one of us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. When the storms come. I want you to note that the title of the message is when the storms come, not if the storms come. Friends, storms are going to come. No doubt about it. The storms will be there. Be assured that just like the disciples faced a storm, several storms in fact, while in the very presence of our Lord, the fact is that so too will you and I. It may be a financial storm, you know, the one where the money runs out before the week does. It may be a marriage storm, you know, where the glass, grass looks so much greener everywhere else at that time. Maybe it's a health storm where all you can hear ringing in your ears is the bad news from a health professional, a doctor, a surgeon. Maybe it's a job storm, a teenager storm, an accommodation storm, a business storm, a far north district council storm. Yeah, we're all familiar with that one, eh? Far north district council storm, get that one. Whatever it is, there are similarities and common things about all of them. And today, I want us to look into God's Word. 
And I want to find some ways to manage our way through the inevitable storms that will come to us. In Luke chapter 8 and verse 22 to 25, the story is told of a violent, life-threatening storm at sea. And the same story is recounted in the book of Matthew in chapter 8. But my personal favorite account of this storm encounter comes from Mark chapter 4, verse 35 to 40. And I'd just like to read it to you. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling, but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? You know, Mark's account starts with the words, On the same day when evening had come. Now this tells us that the verses before that happened earlier on the same day. In those verses, we see that Jesus had been teaching all day, mostly in parables, the parable of the sower, the parable of the growing seed and the parable of the mustard seed. He was just going about his father's business, doing what he was called to do. Basically, just another day at the office for the Son of God, surrounded by his faithful followers. You know, just as you and I can be going about our daily routine with our husband, our wife, our job, our home, our kids, our friends, so too were the disciples in this story. They'd spent all day with Jesus, and then in the evening, he said he wanted to cross over to the other side of the lake. No biggie for them, right? I mean, some of these guys made their living on this very lake. They were highly skilled and experienced fishermen who knew the stretch of water like the back of their hand. The question is, given their experience and knowledge, couldn't they have foreseen the possibility of rough weather? Didn't they recognize the warning signs, weather, temperatures, wind direction, wind strength, or could it be that their obedience overrode their knowledge, their experience, maybe even their common sense in this case? Jesus said, I want to go to the other side, and the disciples did what they were asked to do. They did his bidding. Church, we can all be diligently seeking to walk in his will and his way, to be carrying out God's plan for our lives and the lives of our families But we also need to be aware that there is an enemy. And just being diligent will not protect us from the storms that will inevitably come our way. We can be serving his kingdom purposes, but storms will come. Guaranteed, no doubt about it, not if but when, storms will come. And some of those will even be of our own doing. After all, we're all fallible. We're all capable of making mistakes, including you, Pastor. We're all fallible. It's up to us, whenever possible, to see the storm before it hits. It's kind of like when the boys organize a fishing day, you know, and you say, oh, yep, so Saturday is fishing day, and we're going to go fishing. And uh, you get home, and, you know, you go about your business, and a couple of days later, you remember. And just as you're making your way to the lounge to tell mum about the fishing day, she says something like, Dad, can you get that gazebo down out of the garage because we've got Muckle's birthday on Saturday? 
And you say Saturday. Which Saturday? Um, Muko's birthday, Saturday. Hmm. Uh, gazebo. Hmm. Okay. And suddenly there's a storm on the horizon. It's brewing. You know it. It's there. And it's about then that we have a choice to make. And me and you all know what I'm talking about. I can't tell you what happened yesterday at, ladies, at men's group, ladies. But you know what I'm talking about, guys. It's to tell or not to tell. That is the question. And then more importantly, how to tell. The fact is we see the storm brewing. We know there's imminent danger. We also know we need to do something. And so, guys, just a quick quiz. <clears throat> do you, A, tell your wife, the storm whisperer, that you're going fishing on that day? B, tell the boys you're not going fishing because you have an unexpected injury. C, say nothing and pray for a storm on the real day. <laughs> D, plan your own storm the day before fishing day. Or E, all of the above. If you chose any of those answers, we will have counsellors available to the left. Just kidding. The truth is that most of the time, we do have the opportunity to quell the storm before it even manifests. Just like the major storms we see on the news seemingly every week, the victims of these events usually have warning that the storms are coming, and it's common to see people boarding up their homes, sandbagging shops, packing up precious belongings as they evacuate to safety. It's a picture of controlled chaos. And the same is true for us in, in so many of our storms. The truth is that it's always best to avoid the storm. You know, when your wife reminded you of the Mukul's birthday, an event that had been on the cards for some time, it was time to evacuate before the storm hit. Don't put up the barriers. Don't sandbag your position. Avoid the storm, particularly in the marriage storms. And I'm serious about this bit probably the most common and often most painful and destructive storms that we will face are the marriage storms. Open, honest, and direct communication is absolutely critical early and often. Avoid the storm. Remember the saying, happy wife, happy life. Psalm 107 verses 28 to 30 tells us of those caught in a storm, and it says, then they call out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that the waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. When you're facing a real storm in your life, where do you turn? Do you call to the Lord first, or is he always just the last resort? Remember the disciples in the boat with Jesus? Well, in Matthew it says that suddenly. Don't you love suddenly? Just like on the day of Pentecost when they were all gathered with one accord in the upper room and suddenly, unexpectedly, without warning, in an instant, immediately, quickly, storms can arise in our lives without warnings too. Suddenly. And that reminds me of the theme of the conference next year is suddenly, and it's going to be on us sometime soon. And today, I want to do something which you've got to promise not to tell Pastor Tark. <clears throat> You see, Pastor Tark is the, he'll tell you, and you, if you've been to conference or you've attended West, you'll know that he says, you know, I've got a deal. Let me tell you, I've got a deal. The truth is that <clears throat> a conference is about changing people's lives. 
forever, eternally. And in my hand, I have a ticket. So if you're going to conference, I want you to put up your hand. Okay. In this is a ticket to conference, just proving it's there. And I'm going to give it to pastor. And there's only one proviso for this. It's free. That's the first thing. The second thing is you can't tell Pastor Tark that I'm giving away tickets. A better deal than he will come up with. He'll probably get me kicked out of the Dairy Owners Association if he hears. But the truth is this, that you have the opportunity to take someone with you and change their life forever. The ticket's there. Just go and see Pastor, and he will give it to you. Preferably someone who's not in church preferably someone who doesn't yet know the Lord or may have fallen away from their relationship with him. But you have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ today. Cool. Don't tell Pastor Tark. Where was I? Suddenly, that's right. Suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea in Matthew eight twenty four, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he, Jesus, was asleep. In our day-to-day lives, events can overtake us quickly, even suddenly and without any warning, but even more so when we've left Jesus asleep somewhere in the background, asleep in your boat with a storm brewing. No reading or meditating on his word, no prayer, no fellowship, no connect groups, no prayer meeting, just a dusty, pristine Bible, and Jesus sound asleep somewhere else. You know, books are written to be read, and the Bible is especially no exception. You know, we'll call you when we need you is not a relationship, except maybe with a plumber. It's okay. Everything's going fine. Life's good. We have everything we need. No problems, no worries. We go to church on Sunday too, suddenly. There's a lesson here. Remember the boat trip to the other side? Jesus asleep and a storm arose. You know, meditating on this story and these verses, it came to me that had Jesus been awake and present, When the storm first started to brew, he probably would have calmed it before it started. Had he been present, had they taken the time to wake him up and have him where he belonged. And you know, the same is true of the storms in our lives. The the ability to deal with some trial or tribulation in our lives is most often able to be done early, before it becomes major, while it's just a minor event. And always because we involve Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The word tribulation probably best describes many of the storms in our lives, actually. The Greek word in the New Testament is thalipsis. Get your mouth around that one. Which means pressure, oppression, stress, anguish, adversity, affliction, crushing, squashing, squeezing, distress. I can relate to all of those states. All of the emotions associated with these I'm sure you've encountered many of these yourself, but I just want us to see them for what they are. They are the physical and emotional or psychological effects of other events. For example, pressure from work, from financial difficulties. How about oppression, being put down or subdued by someone else or by some authority? Far North District Council strings to mind. Um, Or stress caused by uncertainty about your accommodation or health. Anguish. Now, if you've got teenagers, you know about anguish. You probably know a little bit about anguish, and so the list goes on. All natural responses of the human condition to tribulation, to trials, 
or in this analogy, in this message, to the storms we will encounter. Please don't think that I'm trying to minimize these things that happen to all of us or to suggest that they are easily overcome or that there will be no pain, no hardship. But let me encourage you that in Romans 5 and verse 3 to 4, Paul wrote this. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulations produce perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. In the story of the storm in Matthew, it says the boat was covered with the waves, and in Luke 8.23 it says they were filling with water. And in Mark 4 and verse 37 it says, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. Now, I've done a bit of boating. I've got a boat, been out a few times in it, a few more I'd like to go. But there's some things I know about boating. I know some of the core principles of boating. I'm aware of some of the finer points of it. For example, I know that water outside the boat is good. I know that water inside the boat is bad. And I also know that when the boat is filling with water, it's seriously bad. You have a problem. Church, the situation was dire. It was desperate, dangerous, and without Jesus in their boat, it would probably have been deadly. As it was, the situation was at a critical point before they involved Jesus in their problem. And here's the first lesson for us today. Keep Jesus at the center. Jesus must always be your primary focus, keeping the main thing the main thing. Talk to him often during your day. Pray with your spouse. Come to prayer meeting. Take communion at home. You are all, as Pastor Tark continually tells us, priests every single day. Take communion in your home. Read his word daily. Share it with your spouse and your children. Psalm 3 and verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Invite the Holy Spirit into your trials and into your storms. You know, we know that at the center of the storm, the eye of the storm, it's actually peaceful. There's no turbulence. The wind is gone. There's a lack of turmoil, a calm. There's a real peace. When we have storms in our lives and we keep Jesus at the center, we will experience the peace of God in our hearts. That's the truth. That's how you start to calm your storm. Then things look decidedly different. Ephesians 2 and verse 14 says, He himself is our peace. And in Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7, we're told, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What a powerful piece of Scripture to meditate on. It provides you with everything you need to know how to overcome the storms in your life. This morning, I believe that God wants to speak to the parents in the house, and particularly to the parents of teens or near teens, youth. You know, parents, the, worst, the enemy's worst nightmare is to see and hear families praying, praising, and worshiping together, glorifying Jesus. He knows that the parents' Achilles heel, their weak spot, is their children. And he'll do everything in his power to separate them from the love of God to create a storm that achieves this breakdown. Today, I believe that Satan's greatest weapon in his battle against godly families is technology. 
And that too many parents are either blasé or naive when it comes to their children's use of phones, tablets, iPads, laptops, and the list goes on and on. I'm sure we've all heard stories of cyberbullying, sometimes with tragic and deadly results. Or online predators preying on children while they're supposedly safe and sound in their, or maybe your, own home. Ask yourself this. Do you have total and unrestricted access to your teen's technology? When was the last time you took the time to ensure their safety in this area? When was the last time you checked out their Facebook or reviewed their messaging and scrolled their contacts? I already hear the cries coming now. You don't trust me. You must respect my privacy. I should be allowed. Or how about, if you love me, you would let me X, Y, or Z. Whatever that demand might be. Whatever that blackmail might be throwing at you as a parent. The fact is that as parents, you're called to ensure the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of your children. Parents can be prosecuted for failing in their duty of care where physical harm has been inflicted on their child or they've been neglected. Imagine how full the courts would be if the same was true for spiritual neglect or harm. Imagine how full the courts would be if parents were prosecuted for letting children listen to destructive, ungodly, demonic music with lyrics that are from the pit of hell and that portray in video lewd, crude, rude, and often obscene images that glorify drugs, anarchy, sex, antisocial, and illegal activity. The truth is, parents, that this storm is raging right now, and it's all around us. It's destroying our young people, and it's destroying our community. And it's happening in seemingly normal Christian homes, maybe even in your home. And you may be oblivious to its existence, or worse, choosing to avoid the storm of an angry teen. One and a half hours of church on Sunday does not negate your responsibility Monday to Saturday to protect your children. They are God's gift to you. Get involved, be proactive, monitor, oversee, control, instruct, direct, teach. God's word instructs parents in Proverbs 22 and verse 6. It simply says, to train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Lay a godly foundation and resist the plans of the enemy to destroy your family. Your children need you to be the parent, to lead, to role model, and when necessary, to chastise and discipline because you love them, because you want to show them the love of God in you, because you want to be their parent. The three different versions of today's story differ slightly, but one common factor was that in all of them, the disciples declared that they were perishing. And in the Mark version at verse 38, the disciples said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? This statement provides us with the second lesson from the story, and that is, proclaim Jesus is Lord. When the disciples woke Jesus, they called him rabbi or teacher. The question here is, how did they see Jesus? And more to the point this morning, how do you see Jesus? Is he just a teller of tales, a moral compass maybe, a leader, a prophet, a spiritual guide, or like the disciples, a teacher, rabbi, a life coach, my Sunday morning feel-good factor? Church, Jesus is Lord. The author and finisher of our faith, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Lamb of God, 
We're saved by His grace to walk in faith. I want you to repeat after me. Jesus is my Savior, my Defender, my Healer, my Provider, my Strength, my Courage, my Joy, my Peace, my Confidence, my Protector, my Refuge. Only when we see Jesus as we should, only then can we stand in faith against the inevitable storms of life in this world. I often read Psalm 46, 1 and verse 2, and it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And Jesus himself said in John 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. The disciples had let fear overtake them and distort the way they saw Jesus. They had witnessed his miracle power firsthand, and yet in the face of a storm, their faith faded. They even doubted that Jesus cared about them. The same can be true of us if we're not continually strengthened in our faith through praise, prayer, worship, fellowship, men's group, ladies' group, prayer meeting on Thursday, and of course, our own meditation on his word. Remember, and I'm sure most of us have heard the saying, don't tell God how big your storm is, tell your storm how big your God is. When we know who Jesus is and when we believe in our hearts that we are in Him, the righteousness of God, when we let it go from head knowledge to heart belief that we are God's children, sons and heirs with Christ and the promises of God, then we can claim all of those promises that we find in His infallible Word. It's unshakable. It's undeniable. It's absolute truth. And therein lies the third lesson for us. Let your faith be manifest in your mouth. In Mark 4 and verse 39, Jesus spoke to calm the storm. But we see first that he rebuked the wind. He spoke to the sea. And then he spoke to the sea. It's as though he was growling a naughty child, as though the wind was the predominant factor here in creating this turmoil. And then after he said that to the wind, he said, stop right now, behave yourself. No, he didn't. He said, peace, be still. Peace, be still. The word in Hebrew is the word shalom, the word peace. And I'm sure you've heard before that this word is all-encompassing. It speaks of a completeness, of wholeness, and well-being, of the total peace of God in every area of our lives. It's actually used in Isaiah 53, 5, where it says, the chastisement for our peace was upon him. You know, that translates the payment for our wholeness, our total well-being, the payment for our sins, our righteousness, our health, our punishment was on Jesus at the cross, and he paid for our shalom peace, our total and complete peace with his blood and his sacrifice. You know, I've come to realize that there's no such thing as mere words. It's a common phrase. You know, it's just mere words. There's no such thing as mere words. Words have power. In Genesis, in the beginning, God spoke the universe into being. He didn't create it with his hands. He didn't toil for days and days. He spoke the heavens, the stars, the earth, and all the creatures on it into being. Words. Words are extremely powerful, both positive and negative. And the word of God is one of the most powerful tools that we have at our disposal. When we proclaim God's word, the enemy knows that we share in the victory of the cross, that our spirit and the Holy Spirit are one. 
we're reinforcing God's defeat over all of Satan's ways. We don't ever have to refight the battle. Don't think that the battle is ours. Jesus said, the battle is mine, says the Lord. We don't ever have to refight the battle. We just need to claim Christ's victory as our own. James tells us in James 4 and verse 7, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Just as a defeated foe will run away, so too will Satan. In prayer, in meditating, in speaking to the storms in our lives, words have real power. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. That's a promise from, from Jesus himself. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Finally, in our story in Mark 4, verse 40, Jesus addresses the disciples and says, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Or in the Matthew account, O you of little faith. We see here how Jesus equates fear and faith. Church, the opposite of faith is not being faithless. It's fear. It's fear. And that's the next lesson for us from this message. Be faithful and fearless. You know, fear and faith cannot coexist at the same time. We cannot be faithful and fearful in regard to the same problem, the same storm at the same time. Jesus knew that the disciples had witnessed the miracles he'd already performed. His healings had, they'd heard his teachings, they'd even left their old lives behind them to follow him, some of them. And yet, in the height of the storm, they were gripped with fear, with panic and distress to the point of unbelief. That's the enemy at work. And it's as true today as it was then. He wants you to be fearful. He wants you to panic. He wants you to be in distress. And he wants you to suffer from unbelief. You know, the Greek word used in, in that particular story is oligopistos. Oligo means small and pistos is faith. It describes a faith that lacks confidence. Not that they didn't have it. It's that it lacks confidence or trust. And another way to say it is that it's underdeveloped faith. Hebrews 11 states, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Romans 10, 17, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 8, By grace you have been saved by faith. And Corinthians 5 and verse 7 again, We walk by faith and not by sight. You know, in the New Testament, faith is mentioned more than prayer. It's mentioned more than praise, more than service more than works or deeds. In fact, it's probably the most prominent and pressing call on every believer. Jesus didn't say, oh, you of little prayer. He didn't say, you of little service or little praise and worship. No. When he chastised the disciples on several occasions, including this one, it was for their lack of faith, the underdeveloped faith. Hebrews 11 is often referred to as the faith chapter, as Paul recounts the heroes of the faith, including those like Enoch, Abraham, Sarah, David. And in verse 6, we are told it is impossible, and I want you to hear this, it is impossible to please God without faith. You can do everything you like. You can work your butt off 24-7, but if you're not acting in faith, it's impossible to please God. Church, we must exercise our faith in the midst of our storms. John Newton said you can only truly appreciate the calm seas when you've endured the storms. 
Yes, our faith will undoubtedly be challenged and tested. James said in verse two and verse uh, in James verse two and three, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Building and strengthening our faith is not a one day out of seven exercise. The worship team could come as I wrap this up. I want to finish with this. We must always, in every circumstance, in the midst of our greatest storms, count our blessings. When Jesus chastised the disciples, he could just as easily have said, why do you not count your blessings? Why do you not look at the good things that you have? And the truth is that that requires faith and the knowledge of where your blessings come from. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 speaks of every believer when it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's you and I, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You know, John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace, and he, ha- he understood every word of that song because it applied to him. He was a ship owner, captain, a slave trader, the equivalent of today's human traffickers. He endured many storms, both literally at sea, on his many voyages, but also in his life. The Lord used John Newton in a mighty and incredible, some might say supernatural way, to spread the good news of the gospel. Not because he was the ideal candidate, but because of his faith. He was a faithful man. John Newton became an advocate for the abolition of slavery and along with William Wilberforce persevered for decades to achieve that goal, not for himself, but to bring glory to his Lord and Savior. He became a minister and one of the earliest preachers of the message of God's amazing, unearned, undeserved, and unmerited favor. John Newton experienced firsthand the amazing grace of which he wrote, and his quotes are as insightful today as they were then. When he first proclaimed them, either in word or song, he once wrote this, With God in my vessel, I will smile at the storm. (laughs) Church, no matter what your storm is today, you too can smile. You can smile at the storm, not because you have the answer, not because it's going to go away, but because you have faith. Because you have faith that Jesus is the answer. And because you have ensured that Jesus is alive, Jesus is well, He's alive and kicking, but most importantly, He's in your boat. He's in your corner. He's backing you. Proverbs 3 and verse 7 tells us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. Finally, John Newton, at the end of his life, was blind. But in relation to that particular passage of Scripture, he said, let me have his presence, his spirit, and his wisdom. And as to the rest, Lord, help me to say what you will, when you will, and how you will. Let's all stand together. You know, this morning has been a a call to faith. It's been a reminder that our faith is dependent on us. It's dependent on us stepping out. It's dependent on us doing the things that the Scriptures call us to do.
And in return for our faith, we can be assured of the hundreds of promises of God that are contained in this book. Literally hundreds of promises that are yours and mine. To receive those promises, all you need to do is have faith. All you need to do is believe. And this morning, as we do every week, I want to offer you the chance. If you don't know the Savior, if you don't know this Lord, if Jesus isn't alive in your boat, I want to offer you the opportunity to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I want to offer you the opportunity to step out in faith and say, yes, I believe. Yes, I want to have the security of a relationship with an all-powerful God. I want to live my life in all eternity with Jesus Christ and the saints of the body of Christ. You know, if that's you this morning, I'm just going to ask you to put your hand up. No one's looking around. If you know that you need Jesus Christ in your life, if you know you can feel it in your heart now, the Holy Spirit stirring you up and saying, that's you. You know that you don't worry about what anyone else is thinking, saying, doing, looking. Just throw your hand up. I'll see it. We can pray for you. And uh, you will enter a new realm. A realm in which you will enjoy the promises of God today, tomorrow, and forever. I'm going to drag it out too long, but I do want to ensure that you have the opportunity to make a decision for Christ this morning. The most important decision that you will make in your life. If you don't feel comfortable with that right now, can I ask that after the service you might like to approach one of the leaders, the elders, pastor, and just tell them. The Bible says that you know, if you've confessed me before men, I'll confess you before my Father. And that's Jesus speaking. He wants you to confess with your mouth your faith in Him as your Savior. But you know, we all have storms in our lives. And this morning, as we end the service, I want to offer you the opportunity to pray with others. I want to offer you the opportunity for prayer. You know, prayer is our connection through the Holy Spirit to the Father. It's the way that we access the promises of God. And I know that I've got a storm in my life at the moment in my right shoulder and someone's going to have to pray for me today. But no matter what your storm is, financial, family, maybe it's just a situation you find yourself in that's not comfortable. It's not where you want to be. Let me tell you that wherever you are right now, Christ has a place that's better. He has something for you today. So I want to open up the altar in the, in the front, and I want to invite you to just come forward. Just step out in faith. Step out of your boat and step into His. Ask Him, tell Him about the storms in your life. If that's you this morning, I invite you to come forward. I invite you to Share your storm and allow others to pray with you to overcome it.
Come on, church, we all have storms. We all have something. They don't have to be big. They don't have to be major. They just have to be not where you want to be, not where the Lord would have you be, not where His promises are being fulfilled in your life. We can just have the leaders come forward and begin to pray. I want to pray with all of you who are still standing in the rows. As we bow our heads, I want to pray this, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning that you would touch the hearts of those who are in the middle of a storm. Big, small, and different, it doesn't matter. The fact is that if someone has a storm in their life, then you are the solution. You are the answer. Lord, I just pray that as people reach out to you, maybe in a silent prayer, maybe as they put their hand on the area of their body that needs healing, as they tell you about their financial circumstances, it's not that you don't know, it's that they just confirm with others that they need you, that they want you, and that this morning they're calling on your power to overcome their circumstance. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We pray your blessing on all of those gathered here today, Lord. And we just know that when the storms in our lives hit, you are the sunshine, you are the light, you are the ray that comes in to overcome the darkness. We thank you for your presence in Jesus' name. And all the congregation said, Amen.